0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Holy Bible. We thank you that you have told us in the Bible to go into all the world and to preach the everlasting gospel, to teach, to disciple men and women. There's no greater joy than seeing the, the happiness on people's face as we describe to them the, your plan of salvation. I pray, Lord, as people go out on urban plunge, as they uh, involve themselves in, in uh, the outreach projects of Union College, Project Impact, and go as SMs and spend their summer doing call portering and, and working at summer camp and other ministries. Lord, I pray you just ignite uh, a mighty movement of, of witnesses uh, from this campus and around the world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, a few years ago, I was living in Washington, D.C., uh, I was only 24 at the time, and every day I would drive back and forth from the Columbia Union College campus where I was staying, and I was working on a special project at the General Conference, and uh, on the way to the General Conference, there was a small Jesuit theology school, and you know, every day as I drove back and forth, I would see this Jesuit theology school, and it was of such intrigue for me as a, as an Adventist, you know, young pastor, uh, I was thinking to myself, man, I would love to go in there and see what is there. Because all our life, you know, you hear about the Jesuits, and here it was, right on my pathway. And so one day, I couldn't Stand the, the curiosity got the best of me. I pulled my, my old 83 Volvo into the parking lot there. It was just like a beautiful campus, but there was nobody around and I saw this sign that said library. I was like, "That's where I'm going to go." So I went up the stairs and I went into this library, books, books, everywhere, old books and stacks of books. And I just started walking back deep into the recesses of this Jesuit library. And I thought that maybe there I would find something very ancient and wonderful. maybe the Holy Grail or something, you know, like this. and uh, a letter from Constantine, maybe his diary. Dear diary, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. It says anyway, I didn't. I didn't find anything like that. But uh, and uh, so I started looking through the books, and I pulled out a book. I can't remember exactly. It was something you know, like uh, persecuting Protestants one oh one or something like this. I I was looking through this book. And suddenly, I felt somebody staring at me. I turned around, and here was this robed man. He was looking just darkly at me with such intensity as just he, he despised me with disdain. And he says, what the blank are you doing here? And who the blank are you? I said, this is a library, and I just was interested in some Books. <laughs> you know, I, I, I heard all about Jesuits. When I was 18, just six years before, I had gone to Europe and I'd gone through the dungeon chambers there where they had the racks and they would, you know, tie people on these racks and start to crank them and they would pull them apart and they would cut them and slay them. And I could just picture this man, this librarian, just pulling me apart. Well, anyway, up until then, I only thought, you know, the worst thing a librarian can do is give you an overdue notice. <laughs> but uh, anyway, then he looked at me, and with that same scorn and hatred, he said, get the blank out of here. Well, he didn't say blank. You can fill in the blanks. He was blankety-blank guy, you know. He just had all these blanks. and uh And so... Seeing that this was my moment to avoid the rack, I just got out of there. <laughs> and uh Well, from that experience, I learned two very important questions that have helped to shape my life, and I deliver them to you that maybe they will assist you as well. Who the blank are you, and what the blank are you doing here? <laughs> it's an important question, isn't it? <laughs> What are you doing here? And, and and who are you? Those are important questions. And, and you know, I think we all ponder them. Sometimes in our life, maybe it was last month when you were studying for finals. It was about 2 a.m. And you're like, What the blank am I doing here? <laughs> you know, in this life that we have, I think those are the two really most important questions that we have to figure out, is who am I and what am I doing on this planet? In other words, what on earth am I doing on earth? Now the first question has a very uh, simple answer key. If, if, if it was a, uh, a quiz or a test the answer key is all around us who am i the answer key is under the big blue sky you see the lord has given us the big blue sky to remind us of who we are you are created in the image of god odd yes odd that you have limit and that we resemble the limitless or is it possible that the that the limit you feel, the cowardice, you know, that uh, that the, the sense of inadequacy was never intended? That God created you in His image because you are somebody with unlimited potential. Yes, blue sky. God formed man from mud, but with nobility. And he crowned him with honor and blessed him and blew in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You got it. The blue sky. And every time you look up into the blue sky, he's given you eyes to see. And the blue sky is to represent your limitless potential. The blue sky is to remind you of royalty. Of your potentiality. If I can create such a word. You know, every Israelite was supposed to wear on their garment a blue cord. And that blue cord was to remind them everywhere they went of the law of God. And the law of God was what? It was to remind them they were free. Because the Ten Commandments were given when they were set free. You got laws, buddy, that are given by the Most High. You're free to grow and to be within the boundary of God. Somebody special, somebody powerful to change this world. To break up the kingdom of Satan. Hallelujah. For that's what the the laws of God are. They're totally 100% opposed to Satan and evil. And that's what mission is all about. You go out into the streets of Lincoln as warriors against evil and where there are people that are depressed and discouraged. You go and bring encouragement and life under the big blue sky because you're, you're somebody infused with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Who are you? Who the blank are you anyway? Now, Satan would like to fill in that blank. (laughs) Yeah, he would like to put something in there, you know. But I refuse to let Satan fill in my blank. Tempted, proud, sinking, worldly, wasted from the lying cup I'm drinking. No! Downward, crazy, empty, alone, evil, worthless, sins, clone. No! Satan... I will not let you fill in my blank who the good hope am I? who the good hope am I? I will let Jesus craft my identity. Now you know if the first question is not so hard to to answer. It's really who am I? If you study the Word of God and you take your time in the morning devotions, God is going to enrich your mind that you are somebody special. You're infused with talents. I remember standing, no, I remember sitting there when a speaker was uh, here at Union College when I was a student and he said, you have a talent that is Better than any thousand other persons. I've never forgotten those words. You have something that you do better than any thousand other persons. God has blessed you. Well, you know, the second question is more difficult. And the question is, why am I here? And really that's what being a student is all about is figuring out really why am i on this earth what do i do better than any thousand other persons what is it that makes me unique and can I without spending a lot of money <laughs> figure that out when I'm choosing a major before I waste 3 years of time and all my classmates have passed me up and I have to take that special program Union College has which is the what do they call that where you you get a free degree after you've already spent your wad and they that's really nice of Union College you know why they do that because a lot of people get out and then they get into a job and they're like I hate this job. <laughs> you know, that would be awful, wouldn't it? And then they have to come back and they're just doing the tests again, you know. And uh, finally they get their, their degree. That's guaranteed education. That's what it is. Well, you know, this is a time where God wants to show you what it is that is the reason that he put you here on this earth. And, uh, you know, you came with a lot of competition. (laughs) Not everybody is born that could be born. Not everybody grows up that could be grown up. But you exist. And that's because you're important. And God has a reason for you to be here. And I really believe that one of those reasons, the first reason, is for that you can meet Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the second is that under this great big blue sky, God has somebody for you to meet and to bring into His kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 12, we see a story about missions. It was Passover season, and Jesus uh, <clears throat> was in Jerusalem. There were some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. They said they came to Philip. Philip, The name Philip is Greek. Probably Philip was a Greek. They came to him and said, we'd like to see Jesus. I'm in verse 20. And Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What was He speaking of? He was speaking about when the Gospel would go to the Gentiles. And here are Greeks not, non-Jews that have come and traveled to see Jesus. And Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'll tell you, you know, here we are in North America, supposed to be a Christian nation. We only got 27% to 33% of people going to church on any given weekend. And the gospel has traveled now around the globe. And there are nations now that are so much more Christianized than our own. We're living in a, in a uh, neo-pagan age where people are starting to take on themselves pagan identities in a, in a Christian environment. The Son of God is to be glorified globally and then the end will come. Well, verse 24 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat, this Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's a, a lot of deep thinking there. But the idea is this, you take that little piece of corn and you say, corn, I am going to plant you and you put it in the ground and it produces ears of corn and rows of corn and hundreds of seeds. But if the man, the same farmer says, little piece of corn, I am going to eat you (laughs) and he swallows that corn, that's it. That's all the energy and power that corn will ever produce. Now this is what Ellen White says about this. Listen to this. She wrote this. The law of self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. The farmer preserves the wheat by casting it to die. The life that is spent on self is like the grain that is eaten. You got it? How are you going to preserve your life? I mean, isn't that the whole intention of our college and education is to grow up and preserve ourself? we got lots of options. And we want to make sure we choose the right options so that we can get the right house and the right car and the right job and we can preserve ourselves. And you know what? Jesus said. Jesus said that the wheat... Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. You want to have a life of influence, of impact. You want to do something important. It all begins by dying. Take that sophomore year. Throw it to the ground. Take that junior year. Cast it away to India or Korea or Nepal. And then you will have abundance now i'm going to talk to you just a minute about what afm is all about <clears throat> you know afm is something unusual because we take something that is nothing and turn it into something where where there is nothing we go where there is no gospel where no Adventist presence has ever existed before. We go there and we try to initiate something to, that would create a movement, an energy, a synergy that will expand and grow. So, you know, some people ask me all the time I travel around, and they say, "Well, isn't it better to get the local people to teach the gospel in their local language and their local place?" Well, absolutely. But that's like saying, wouldn't it be better to have local crocodiles produce more crocodiles in Holmes Lake than trying to? There are no local crocodiles in Holmes Lake. Right? Well, you can't have local Adventists in a place where there are no Adventists teach People about the gospel. They just aren't there. It's hard to imagine. But you know, there are over 6,500 languages in the world. The Seventh-day Adventist church is reaching now 1,600 languages. That's a fantastic uh, work for the amount of time we've existed. But that means there are about 5,000 languages that have no Adventist presence. Now among those Christian presents, we could reduce that number by about two thousand. Praise the Lord! Somebody has gone there, taught the gospel, and and, and there's a, a kernel, a kernel of the gospel there. But somebody has got to go. So on a on a uh, pendulum, if you could imagine, over here you have short-term missions. How many of you gone on a short-term mission project before? Yeah, great. So these are important. These are Uh, learning experiences, get your feet wet experiences, and they do a lot of good. People pull teeth. Pastor Rich Carlson, he pretends to be a dentist when he goes out and uh, doesn't ever tell people he's really not a dentist. (laughs) He gets his hands in there and pulls out teeth, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know... That's great. That's short-term missions, and it does a lot of good. And some of you are going on the nursing trip for short-term, couple weeks. It does a lot of good. So you got the short-term mission trips, Maranatha trips, church-building trips over here. A couple of months, maybe at the most. And then you have this next experience called a student missionary experience. One year, two year, maybe some people stay three years, but generally it's eight to ten months. A student missionary, you can learn a lot, you grow, you change, experience the culture. Then you come over here and you have called a a short-term volunteer, maybe three, four years uh, along in that period of time. And then we have people that are what we call a career missionary. And they go and they've got to learn the language of the people. I had to learn Turkish. It was difficult. I did not enjoy it at all. (laughs) This is what we call a career missionary, and they go to make a difference. Now, there are general conference calls where people can go, but most of those currently are in administrative positions where you go to be an accountant in a school uh, someplace or something like that. We have Adventist Frontier Missions calls which are actually trying to establish a presence in a place where there's never been a presence before. And, uh, what now we are trying to initiate is something different. It is called a tent maker, tent maker missions. Let me explain a little bit to you. This is, we got this, this name here, Gotential. And that's basically a, a fusion of, of three different words. We have go, which comes from where? The Great Commission. That's right. Go ye into all the world. And then we have tent. Where does the tent idea come from? It comes from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Literally making tents and stitching tents. And he says in the Bible that he chose to do that work rather than take money from the churches that he started. Why? What benefit would that be to him? I mean, man, if he could just take money from the churches, you know, the offering plate, then he could could multiply his work, couldn't he? But you know what? When he was a tent maker, what was the benefit? He could model to the man who he's converting, there is a a fusion of your life work and your verbosity about the gospel and what Jesus has done to you. So that here is a working class man, Paul, the greatest missionary who ever was, is looked at by the person he's witnessing to as a working guy. So Paul shares his faith with a, with a, uh, a mason or a, a builder. And that builder accepts Jesus Christ in his life. And what does he begin to think? He thinks, well, I can share Jesus while I'm working with all the people. And so there's Paul stitching, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking the Gospel. It's oozing out of him. And here's this construction worker who's learned from Paul. And while he's laying bricks, what's he doing? For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's preaching the Gospel because that's what the kingdom of God is all about it wasn't about a paid clergy it wasn't about paid missionaries it wasn't about people you're the witnessing people and we're the working people here's the Saturday witnesses and here's the rest of us who got to work for a job it wasn't that way at all when the church was growing up in the book of acts you know how it multiplied so fast because every single person no matter whether they were a nurse or an engineer or a carpenter they were teaching the gospel to other people. hallelujah. This is a really a revolution, my friends and i I think this is how the work is going to be finished on this planet now, i don't want to I don't want to get you know the the big guys upset for this, but I really think it's going to be the common people who finish this task when when they seize it again and and that I say they that's you, really. And here you are studying biology or chemistry. And you're going to be a dynamo, an Apostle Paul for the Lord in your field of expertise. Hallelujah. Amen. Take a look at this. So basically you have go, tent, and y'all. What's the y'all? Potential. Go, potential. go, potential. because the potential, the potential is there when every person is a witness. I'm going to show you a short video clip right now just so you get this in your head and then I'll share a few more thoughts. Uh, could you... So, what we have is people that are taking jobs. Actually, uh, Gotencil is just one year old. It's just a brand new baby, and it's starting up. We've got now about 15, uh, tent makers. We call them tent makers. People who have, uh, are working in unusual places of the world. Uh, North Africa, Tunisia, Algeria, Libya, uh, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, all these places throughout the, the, uh, Middle East and Central Asia that we would say are unreached. They are unreached. So unreached, if you can believe it. I mean, the whole North Africa and Middle East together has more people than the whole United States. 400 million people. Over 100 cities of a million or more people there. You know how many many Seventh-day Adventists we have in that whole area? 3,000. They can all fit in this one College View Church, just about. And if you think those are all real shining, uh, faithful people. No, no, no. That's 3,000 cluster of just their names are on the books. There's work to be done. So what we have is faithful, Holy Spirit-filled people going out into these places and finding jobs now this is the website uh gotential.org gotential.org and uh what we are doing is helping to train people who've taken their degree in chemistry or that they have been a uh botanist or we actually have one guy who's looking for a job right now he's he's a butterfly scientist that's his, his job these these are people very intelligent people Unusually gifted, and they want to go and serve the Lord. People that are working for big oil companies, Shell and Exxon, they get a job, and where's their money coming from? Their, their career, right? And so they're getting high paying jobs, and, uh, and then they are, we're training them to start home churches. Fellowship churches focusing on one individual who the Holy Spirit has prepared. What did Jesus say in Luke 10? He said, he said <clears throat> go into a village and there you will find a man of peace. Stay there. Don't move around. That's what he told them. That's what we're asking these, these people. We're not asking them, start a big evangelistic campaign. No. Focus on one person and work with that person. Stick with that person businessmen uh, marketing we have a graphic designer in iran we have a person uh, right now in in iraq who is uh working for a cell phone company these are the types of of uh jobs now you can't see this i'm sorry i didn't know the screen would be uh so poor but there's there's all different jobs that you can get on and uh find them in bhutan and china and different places and uh The types of jobs you have here are like an economics professor, an English teacher, an elementary teacher, a chemistry professor. Uh, This particular website, all these jobs, I wish you could see that. You know what their salary, starting salary is? $4,000 a month. 56 days of vacation. Does that sound good to you? (laughs) would that help to clear off some school debt? You bet. You know, that's why this has got such great potential, is because you can take high-paying jobs and you can be an influence where God needs you to be an influence. Think about, you don't have to just say, okay, I'm gonna start in on the theology program or I, I've decided now I'm going to drop everything and I'm, I'm gonna go as a missionary and I wished I could be a chemist, but I wish I could be an engineer. No! Fuse your life and your passion, your, your love for Jesus <clears throat> and your giftedness. Amen? Well, <clears throat> you know, I know you guys are a little ways from being able to accomplish this, but I want to plant the seed in your mind because, uh, it's real and it's, uh, it's something that you can, you can do in your lifetime. Now, you may be at the place right now where you need to be a student missionary. You need to start thinking about it now and experience it. Well, we were in Turkey for 10 years. 10 years is a long time. And I had a lot of people before we left say to me, 10 years in the Middle East. That's a, that's a big, that's a lot of time. You know, I, I often wonder, what did Jesus do between age 20 and 30? We don't have anything record of what he did in that span of time. But we do know that when he started his ministry at age 30, in Luke chapter 4, it was of such nothingness that Jesus did between age 20 and 30 that the people said, Who is this? Isn't this the guy who owned the carpenter shop? But you know what Jesus was doing during that time? He gained a whole lot of momentum. Momentum. I often wish I had hit age 30 with the momentum that Jesus did. Habits of prayer and a host of Scripture memorized. Not an ounce of self, and yet a sense of self-worth that was like a lion. Jesus was humble, and He was brave, and He was smart. Jesus was a quiet hero. And people told me as I prepared to go to the Middle East, 10 years a long time. Well, you know, Jesus spent 10 years in the Middle East. (laughs) Yeah. He had to learn three languages. And he had to study how do Jews think so that I could share stories with them that would really tickle their brain. He spent a lot of time as a poor person doing the things that ordinary people do. Working, praying, talking, thinking. Some might say that was a whole lot of nothing Jesus did. No converts, no disciples, no miracles between age 20 and 30. Nothing. And of course, if they mean the type of nothing that was building momentum enough to begin an unstoppable movement covering the entire planet and ultimately toppling Satan's empire for eternity, yes, it was that type of nothing. Now where are you going to go and do nothing? Where will you go? And God will use you to plant a seed to get something miraculous started. I believe he's got mighty plans for you. You know, I <clears throat> this whole idea of a man of peace, I prayed that God would give me a man of peace before I left. He gave me a man. His name is Ekbert. He just owned a little nut shop right on the corner. You know, Ekbert, after many years of friendship, came to Union College. <laughs> and he was hosted by Pastor Rich, and, and Chris Blake, and and uh, Huda McClelland, and uh, he just felt like this was such a wonderful, warm place. Muslim man, a sincere Muslim man. This man so was so sincere Muslim. You know, they pray five times a day, bowing down like this <clears throat> on their forehead, touch their forehead to the ground, and then they get up like this, and back down again. My friend Ekber was so sincere, he had calluses on his forehead from prayer that is a prayerful man you know he prayed when he met me he didn't want to jeopardize his family he didn't want to jeopardize his Islam by having a Christian friend and so he went to the mosque and he prayed and he prayed Allah should I have a Christian friend and you know what Allah told him yes (laughs) and so he told me this that he had prayed and God had given him permission to be my friend. well, I had many, many conversations, spiritual conversations with Eckbert. one of them I showed a passage in isaiah fifty three and you know isaiah fifty three where it talks about uh, how jesus was was led like a lamb to the slaughter it doesn't use the name Jesus, but it 's a prophecy about the about the Messiah and how he carried the sins uh, of the people upon him and the infirmities of the people upon him and I described all of this to him. Well, one year after I shared that scripture with him, Ekber's daughter, Hondon, became very sick. Some strange disease. They took her from doctor to doctor. And in Turkey, you know, it's a different world to go to a hospital. They're messy and they're unsanitary and there's just crowds of people. I was thinking tonight, you know, normally on missions week, they have lots of flags in here. And I thought, you know, flags don't really give a a sense of a mission week. We need to bring some goats into the church. (laughs) Bring some chickens into this place. Then let's, let's get, maybe we could recruit about another thousand... People, But we pay them for a month not to take a bath and they could all mill around here while you're trying to have vespers And then maybe if we could put in a few pickpockets in the bunch just to keep you on the edge, you know Then we really got a missions week going and uh, some bus fumes. We could pump in some exhaust fumes in here, you know, some carbon monoxide and get the mosque rolling. And And uh, finally, the fumes of garlic cooking. Now we got a missions week broiling right here in the church. Well, anyway, I was talking to my friend Ekber. His daughter was so sick. He's going from hospital to hospital. And I said to him, I said, Ekber, you need to pray in the name of Jesus. Because it's Jesus who is the healer. It's Jesus who can... He's more than a prophet, you know. He is your prophet. And Eckbert respected Jesus as a prophet. But I said, you know, this prophet did a lot of healing. And you know, he is still alive. Eckbert says, yes, I know this. I know this. I said, you pray in the name of Jesus. And then I went back to that Isaiah 53. And I said, look, it says he heals our infirmities. And so it was that Ekber began to pray differently. And you know what? That was eight years ago and that little girl who was so weak and so frail and about to die was healed. And now she's a healthy strong teenager. That's the joy of missions is to go and open a new sky A blue sky of possibilities where people, a dome of darkness has come to people and they're hopeless. They don't know how they're going to find their way in this world. And you, as a missionary, can open up new possibilities to them and show them who they are and who cares about them and why they are on this planet. And when Jesus in John 10 says this illustration about cast the wheat to the ground and if it dies, it, it will produce many seeds. And then He goes on to say the man who loves his life will lose it. My Father will honor the one who serves Me. Verse 27, Now my heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No! It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. And then, boom, out of that blue sky, a voice from heaven comes. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. It's an unusual story. You don't often read it or hear about it, but God spoke from the heavens saying, yes, Jesus. It's by the power of Jesus That things will happen. And then Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Will you lift him up? Lift him up. Let your life here in Nebraska be a tent maker life. Fused. Where your career, your study, and your passion for Jesus Christ are together. And you speak about Jesus in the cafeteria. Speak about Him in the dormitory. Speak when you go to Super Saver. And when you go to Target, when you're sitting at Taco Bell. Shake the gates of hell. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! <laughs> You can talk about Jesus wherever you're at. And that makes you a tent maker. Right now I'm going to ask my wife. I should have put this slide forward. I wanted to tell you just a little bit also. The Waldensian students. This is a dynamic program. Basically, you you choose to go and enroll in a university where there are no Christians. So university, 60,000 students in in places like Cyprus or Istanbul or in Cairo, Egypt. You enroll in that university and there you win, friends, for the Lord. That's a Waldensian student. And you know there is special programs right now where you can get assistance to be able to, uh, to get that education and be a light for Jesus Christ. And then you start a Bible study group in your home.